This tape is going to be about the Holy Eucharist, about the Mass. And I suppose really we ought to start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, we are here now because we want to learn more about your love for us, so that we in our turn may love you more, and so come to please you better. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God for ever and ever. Amen. Well, this is going to be about the Mass. And I wouldn't like you to think that the whole thing to me is crystal clear and you think that I am a man who knows everything about it and understands it all perfectly and you are people who just don't understand it. Nobody can understand God. And the immensity of God's mercy and love, it's like a huge ocean of of infinite extent, infinite depth. And you go into it about a couple of yards and you're out of your depth. Maybe I can go in for two and a half yards, say, and, and, and I'm out of my depth. Or a saint might go in, say, six yards, and then he's out of his depth. Our blessed lady might go and say ten yards, and then she's out of her depth. We creatures can never understand God. And we hope to spend our eternity in this ocean of God's love without ever coming to the end of it or measuring its depth or, or extent. So what wonder if in this life it's full of mystery, But that doesn't mean to say we don't enjoy it. A man doesn't understand his wife properly. No man ever understands a woman completely. doesn't mean to say he doesn't enjoy her company or take pleasure in thinking about her. Or look at the sun. You, You can't look at the sun when it's shining overhead. But you enjoy it. And in its light you see everything. And so it is with us and God and all that he's done for us. We can enjoy it and take pleasure in thinking about it. But to understand it completely, it's only God can understand himself completely. And this subject of the Holy Eucharist, it's a great mystery. It has many names. We call it the Holy Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, the Holy Sacrifice. We call it the Bread of Life. We call it the Liturgy. And when communion is taken to someone who's dying, we call it viaticum. That's Latin for food for the journey, the last journey. These different names, they all point to different aspects of the Holy Eucharist. The three main aspects being the real presence, the sacrifice, and Holy Communion. As in a church, you see the tabernacle, where the Blessed Sacrament is kept, and the altar on which the Holy Sacrifice is offered, and the communion rails at which Holy Communion is received. Where should we start thinking about it? Maybe the best place to start would be in the desert with the Israelites when they got out of Egypt. And Scripture tells us that for 40 years God fed them miraculously. 
a sort of remote preparation for the gift of the Holy Eucharist, which would be our nourishment during our wanderings in this world until we come to the promised land of heaven. Then there was the marriage feast at Cana. That was the first of our Lord's miracles when he turned all the water into wine. He did that and we read that his disciples believed in him. Then there was the great miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the only miracle that is recorded by all four evangelists. And this miracle not only foretold, in a way, foreshadowed the great miracle of the Holy Eucharist, but our Lord used it to, to prophesy what he was going to do, to tell them what he was going to do. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read the account of it in St. John's Gospel. I'm taking this from the translation. It's called Today's English Fashion. And it's a very good modern translation of Scripture. This comes in St. John's Gospel, and it's the sixth chapter. I'll read it now, and I'll comment on it bit by bit as I go. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee, or Lake Tiberias, as it's also called. A large crowd followed him because they'd seen his miracles of healing those who were ill. Jesus, I'm not reading now, this is my commentary, Jesus did all these miracles to help people to realize that he was more than mere man, to compel belief, almost, in what he was going to tell them. If they did things that they couldn't understand how he did them, that should lead them to believe what he said, even though they couldn't understand it. I read on. Jesus went up a hill and sat down with his disciples. The time for the Passover festival was near. Jesus looked round and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, so he asked Philip, Where can we buy enough food to feed all these people? He said this to test Philip. Actually, he already knew what he'd do. Philip answered, For everyone to have even a little, it would take more than 200 silver coins to buy enough bread. There's a footnote here saying that a silver coin was the daily wage of a rural worker. The text goes on. Another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, There's a boy here who has five loaves of barley bread and two fish, but they will certainly not be enough for all these people. Make the people sit down, Jesus told them. There was a lot of grass there. So all the people sat down. There were about 5,000 men. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks to God, and distributed it to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, and they all had as much as they wanted. When they were all full, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces left over. Let us not waste any. So they gathered them all up and filled twelve baskets with the pieces left over from the five barley loaves which the people had eaten. Seeing this miracle that Jesus had performed, the people there said, Surely this is the prophet who was to come into the world. Jesus knew that they were about to come and seize him in order to make him king by force. 
so he went off again to the hills by himself. You know, of course, Jesus did come to be king of our hearts, but not a material sort of king, not a political king, not a military leader. The text goes on. When evening came, Jesus' disciples went down to the lake, got into a boat, and went back across the lake towards Capernaum. Night came on, and Jesus still had not come to them. By then a strong wind was blowing and stirring up the water. The disciples had rowed about five or six kilometers when they saw Jesus walking on the water, coming near the boat, and they were terrified. Don't be afraid, Jesus told them. It is I. Then they willingly took him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land at the place they were heading for. Now those two miracles, the multiplication of the loaves and the walking of the water, were a sort of immediate preparation for the discourse on the bread of life which Jesus was going to give next day. The multiplication of the loaves foreshadowed in a way the multiplication of our Lord's presence in the Holy Eucharist so that he's there on our altars all over the world. A thing we can't understand any more than we could understand the multiplication of the loaves. And the walking on the water, that insubstantial water bearing up the weight of his body, perhaps makes it a bit less incredible, the fact that the appearances of bread and wine They conceal the reality of our Lord's physical presence.